Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Pixel Swim podcast, the podcast where we talk about design and technology and where they meet, uh, a lot of mobile design. Uh, my name is Steve Heinrich, the host. Today is Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. And yeah, it's just me again <laughs> this week. So yeah, let's just dive right into the notes. Let's go for our Pixel Swim. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, just starting off this week, I, there, there was a lot of feedback after the last show. I was really appreciative of everyone for kicking back some, who kicked back some comments on it. And uh, I just want to send the biggest thank you out to Mike Latori, who left a bunch of comments on uh, pixelswim.com, which by the way, pixelswim.com, you can find all the show notes and social links and stuff like that. So, but yeah, he left a comment on the last episode in regards to me talking about the Google our Google Assistant and Google Search including podcast results in their search results. So essentially you could play and subscribe to podcasts right through Google Search or Google Assistant. And I kind of had mentioned that I wasn't quite sure why they were doing that yet. And there was actually another article that I saw in the phone show chat group. Somebody posted, I think it was from Android Police about this, but uh, Mike, anyway, anyway, Mike got back on the show notes page. Uh, he said he ha- he says, I have an idea why Google Assistant allows you to play and subscribe to podcasts. And I think it has to do with two words, Google Home. Hey, Google, play the Pixel Swim podcast. I think that's kind of cool. And although I don't have a G Home or Alexa, I think that would be a cool feature, especially since you have already get them to play from play music from various services so yeah that <laughs> that made a lot of sense after i read that. i was i wasn't sure why they were including podcasts in their search results but that makes sense with with google home and stuff like that so but also this week there was an article posted uh, on android police about more about google's podcast initiative and so that basically they're trying to become more of a podcast presence. Android isn't really known, you know, obviously podcast comes from Apple and, and the iPod and, and all that. Um, yeah, I'll post the link to that Android police article and, and kind of where the, I think it also has to do with Google trying to go more towards their own app. Um, I think it, the podcast being in the search results and in Google assistant is probably more of a Google home and, uh, basically for voice commands and stuff like that and i think of google will probably eventually have their own podcast app and it won't just be buried just be buried in the google play music or google yeah google play music app so thanks to mike for that comment and he also said good job (laughs) on that episode so i appreciate that and he also left a comment on episode 13 in regards to me having issues with, because I, I spoke about having issues with Smart Lock on Android and how it was kind of inconsistent as far as the location and the trusted places working consistently on with, you know, all of that. So he left a comment and he said, I can't remember why I installed it, but I have an app that tells me when Play Services has been updated and the new version number. I've noticed a slew of updates lately, and I'm wondering if this is something to do with SmartLock being so inconsistent. Last year, Google promised a fixed through Play services, and it did seem to get more consistent. Maybe that's what has been happening lately. So I (laughs) I hope so, because on my Q6, there is no there's a face unlock option, which I don't necessarily want to use. It wasn't 
you know, it's not my first choice. But other than that, there's no fingerprint sensor. So being able to have the phone unlocked without having to put in a pin or anything like that, you know, in a specific location, like at home or at work or that kind of thing, uh, and to have it work consistently would be really great. So I hope that you're right, Mike. I hope that all these updates are kind of going towards that. So I'm going to keep testing it out on the Q6 specifically to see if it if it improves. So I appreciate him leaving a comment on that. And he also left <laughs> one more comment on my article about the LG Q6 and how it can shoot raw photos and, and everything that I I went over on that to give an example of the raw photos coming off of the, the budget Q6. So he said, it's really not a bad camera at all, is it? It's, it's certainly better than my Moto Z Play. I do find it strange that they haven't disclosed the raw capabilities. For geeky types like us, it's a real positive. It really makes me wonder what you could do with the G6. I remember Mr. Mobile Michael Fisher really liked the camera, and Ted Salmon also. So Ted Salmon and uh, Michael Fisher both phone aficionados so um yeah i mean it is it's a little strange that they included raw capabilities on the q6 but i did respond that because it's running a snapdragon 435 that i imagine (laughs) snapping a bunch of photos with jpeg and raw formats at once would probably slow the phone down in uh quite a bit so i imagine that's probably why they don't advertise it on the q6 I know on the G6, I mean, it's built right into the stock camera and you can't get it in the stock camera on the Q6. So, And I did notice that there was a bit of delay when taking RAW, the, uh, when using the manual manual camera app on the Q6. There was, you know, a bit of a, a waiting period between photos if you were using the RAW option. So I'm guessing that they just... You know, I, I don't know why they would include it in the first place or the ability f- to do that, but I'm glad that they did. But um, yeah, I'm sure on a consumer, you know, everyday consumer level, it's probably not the best option and, you know, performance wise. So thanks to Mike for leaving all those comments. I really appreciate it. Uh, he's always he's been a big supporter of the show uh, since I started. So uh, thank you, Mike, for that. Also, after the last episode on Twitter, I'm going to, (laughs) there's no name, so I'm just going to do my best to assume that Helix is what they were going for. It's at H-E-7-I-X. I I think the 7 is supposed to be some sort of like an inverted L, but I could be wrong. You let me know (laughs) if you're listening. So, But after the last episode, they contacted me and about the Lumi 950, I had talked about how uh, the, the audio on the video that I shot with the Lumia 950 last week was very poor and very bad. So uh, Helix, I'm just going to say Helix, on Twitter suggested an all about Windows Phone article, AAWP article that Steve Litchfield wrote, I think it was back in 2016. Uh, Either way, I'll link to the article and basically about the same idea about the audio being muffled on the Lumia 950. So lo and behold, you know, I pull off the back cover of the 950 and yeah, the little sponges are covering up the speaker holes on the back of the device. So I just pulled those off. And in Steve's article, he actually used kind of the, it's like the rubber gripping that you would put in a drawer to kind of cover those up again. And so I managed to find some thin foam that I kind of, you know, cut with scissors and rounded out. I should take a picture and and try and get that out there, what I did for that. But uh, Steve did respond on Twitter, Steve Litchfield, and said, you know, it'd probably be better off to just 
beat without the foam, without anything in there, uh, because they were still kind of covering up and everything kind of didn't work, (laughs) you know, exactly as he had hoped. So, you know, I try, I'm going to do a few more tests with that camera and see how, if I can improve the audio in any way. So the little foam that I put in there seemed to do pretty well. But I want to try out a few other things, too. So uh, thanks to again to Helix on Twitter for pointing that out and just for, you know, being a listener and for sharing that article with me. So also this week, I got my yellow Lumia 920. (laughs) It arrived in the mail and I posted on Twitter about it and it is super, super yellow. And I, I wasn't expecting it to be that yellow. I know, you know, it's one of those you probably should expect it to be that yellow, but I hadn't had hands on with any of the Lumias that were any crazy colors. I honestly, I think I've only ever had a black or a white Lumia. So the yellow was kind of a a big shock to me, but it looks really, really great. The device is in really good condition. There's a little bit of chipping on the coating, I guess you would say on the upper left of the past, uh, next to the screen in the upper left. Of the yellow but uh other than that it looks really good so i I, honestly setting it up and and getting things going on it i've really (laughs) i haven't used windows phone 8.1 in a while and i i miss it it is such a it's it was such a fluid operating system it still is i mean you can still install a lot of apps for it so i know uh this week also steve litchfield posted on all about windows phone about the Lumia 1020 and kind of working with Windows Phone 8.1 these days, you know, and giving some app suggestions there. So that was really, uh, it was cool to read because I'm going through the exact same thing with this Lumia 920 right now. So I'm trying to install and, you know, kind of, you know, I want to use it as a daily driver (laughs) naturally just to see how I get on, you know, but there's potential there that there that I could use this to kind of scale back, scale back, you know, on my smartphone use, which I've really been trying to to do, you know, Twitter feeds, especially it's so easy to open up Twitter and just scroll your thumb through it for 15 minutes. And next thing you know, your your neck is hurting and you're trying to, you know, you've gotten nowhere, you've read nothing, you've not remembered anything. It's almost like when you it's like driving hypnosis, hypnosis where you drive and you're not really, you can't really remember some of the trip. That's kind of how Twitter is for me these days. It's a little bit mindless at, at points because I go on there too often. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I can use this 920 for a little bit just to see if I can get on with it and, and see if it would provide that solution to kind of a scaled back phone experience. So I can, you know, not be so I don't know, you know, just that mindless smartphone using. I'm sure we've all hit it at some point. Everybody, not even just techie people, you know, everybody I imagine has opened their phone and just, you know, mindlessly scrolled. And I don't want to do that so much, you know. So hopefully this 920 will help with that. But also I mentioned on the last episode about the uh, Nokia CC1043 case, which is like the official nokia case for the lumia 920 it's just a it looks like a, i think it's just a tpu case and but it fits supposed to fit really well and uh keith bartlett on twitter got back to me and actually mentioned that he had the red version i think of of it yeah the red version and so he said that it actually took on the dye from his jeans when he had it in his pocket and that it was kind of a grubby case yeah on twitter he says i was so disappointed with the case it looked grubby but wouldn't clean up was a good fit 
maybe yellow will perform better. So yeah, I still wanted to get the yellow case after that. Appreciate Keith's feedback on that. It did make me hesitate for a moment, but I want, you know, I wanted to to try it out. And I, again, I couldn't find the case uh, in the U.S. Uh, there, there was one on eBay, but it had like just sold out. And so uh, it was nowhere else to be found. Well, I mean, there was, I think there was another one in the U.S., but it was one of those eBay listings where it's like clearly uh, they're, I don't know if they are intend on fulfilling this because they've listed the case for, you know, $150, which is ridiculous. And every once in a while you come across those listings and you kind of just know that case, they don't have that case in stock, you know, um, that they're probably source it from somewhere. Um, but it, it, so it's rare over here in the U.S. to find that case. But with that said, I have to give the uh, another big shout out to Ted Salmon, who contacted me after the last episode and asked if, you know, if anybody had, got, you know, jumped in to offer to send the case over. And they hadn't at that point. So Ted offered to send the case over from Amazon.co.uk. And so he ordered it in and he let me know that recently that he got it and that he would it was in the post on its way over. So it's it's up in the air, I imagine, at some point or right now as I record this. So it's up in the air over the Atlantic somewhere and hopefully it'll be over soon. So thank you so much, Ted, for doing that. And I, I appreciate it. It really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an exchange for the the case that I sent over there uh, over there to him. So but either way, it's been it was it's really nice of Ted to reach out and do that. So. With that said, actually, uh, in within that conversation thread with Ted, I uh, wanted to just say that next week, and <laughs> I will be rolling out the red carpet for the venerable Ted Salmon. So I will have a guest next week, and it will be Ted. So I'm really excited for that. Thanks, Ted, for for sending the case, and then also agreeing to guest. So uh, look out for that episode next week. Um, hope, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about with Ted yet, so we'll figure that out. But I'm appreciative of him coming on and should be a good episode. I'm really looking forward to talking to Ted. And if you don't know who Ted Salmon is, he is of the Phones Show chat, Fortune and Fame. And if you don't know what the Phone Show chat is, it is a really great podcast on phones based in the UK. So Ted is over, I believe, in Wales. North Wales. And I will put a link to the phone show chat podcast. If you haven't listened to it, then I definitely suggest checking it out. And I'm really looking forward to having Ted on next week. So, okay, to kind of start into the main topics that I want to talk about. And it's actually really, I talked about this in the past about wanting to talk about why or how being a tech geek has helped me be a better graphic designer, a web designer, web, web stuff, like I said, is it, it's kind of obvious, you know, there's a lot of coding and stuff involved. It's, you know, it's right on the geeky level, but there's a lot of things that I've done in the past or because I, I have a leaning towards mobile technology and, and, and windows PCs and, and, you know, a lot of different tech geek kind of stuff, you know, computer being computer savvy and stuff like that has really helped me over the years be a lot faster and ultimately be a lot better uh, at what I do and really a lot faster. So I think I'm just going, I don't know if I'm going to talk about it all at once. So I kind of want to talk about, make it into like a, you know, a topic or a series that I, that I come back to because I feel like I, I, I haven't had a, a good grasp on, on the scope of everything that has helped me because I am 
a tech geek. So this week, I just I'm going to start off with a couple of Windows software tools that I use. So sorry, Mac users, but uh, these are for Windows. I've always used Windows uh, since about 1997, I believe it was, and Windows 95 was my first foray into the PC world. So ever since then, I've just stuck with Windows, even as a graphic designer. I know it's kind of a, you know, like, oh my God, you're a graphic designer, you don't use Mac, you know, or whatever and all that stuff. And it's not that I'm opposed to Mac and all that stuff. It's just that I grew up in in the PC world. And it's, you know, it is exponentially cheaper to be in the PC world. So Let's get into the first Windows software tool I use. Both of these that I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a couple today. Both of them are completely free. So I mean, I'm going to put links to these in the show notes and so you can check them out. But the first one that has saved me tons of time and really learning to use it. I, I still don't have my head around all of it, but it's the bulk rename utility. I believe that's the actual name of the software. So when you download the software and you open it up for the first time, (laughs) there's a lot of fields that you can fill in. And essentially, to kind of give the basic gist of this, it's for Windows, like I said. And here, let me let me give their brief synopsis of of what bulk rename utility is. It looks like it's based in the UK as well. It's a .co.uk domain name. So It's the bulk rename utility, free file rename utility for Windows. Rename multiple files with the click of a button. Batch renaming made easy. So if you use Windows Explorer a lot, you use a lot of different files or you you work with a lot of different files and you have different things that you, uh, you need to rename them. This is not a simple tool by any means, but once you get the basic gist of some of it, it can be really powerful and make and really save a lot of time with uh, renaming files and and not just like you know i use a lot you can renumber file you can number files you can do a lot of different things but the reason i originally found this wasn't didn't have anything to do with work or anything like that i was actually trying to okay so the situation was that i my wife had an ipod and so she had it filled up with all of her music i don't remember what the situation was but she it ended up the music was only on the iPod and she didn't have any backup of it. Of it, This was years ago. So if you've ever looked at the file system on Windows of an iPod, you know that they break up the music into a bunch of seemingly randomly numbered or not even numbered, just random string of folders. And they just and each MP3 or AAC file or whatever it is is has a random string as a name too so there's no simple way to just copy everything over and know what everything is in in windows explorer so you could technically take all the files and folders off of the ipod and put them in to a library and it would pull all the information from the id3 tags in the mp3 like the artist and the song name and the album name and stuff like that but i in the interest of organization, I wanted and and not, you know, having duplicate songs and stuff like that in the future, you know, and stuff like that. I wanted to get all of these files renamed and into one, you know, into a natural folder structure and named what they, you know, by artist and song name and stuff like that and track number and stuff like that to keep these organized, you know, in, in a 
music library in, in, in the file system. So I came across this tool to do that. And so it the biggest thing about it was that you can rename these MP3 files based on the ID3 tags or the metadata in the MP3 file. So essentially you could rename all of, you know, like I said, there was everything was so fragmented as far as naming because there was all just random strings. And so using this tool, you can rename those MP3 files using the metadata. So that's what I did. I would open the bulk rename utility. You you know, there's a, a folder tree structure and you can find the files that you need and you can rename all of the files appropriately, you know, you are using those tags, <clears throat> excuse me. And it was such a time saver, my God. <laughs> I mean, all of the ID3 or the meta information was there. So it, it did the job. And so it, I was able to organize the library of, you know, this these gigabytes of music, thousands of songs in a matter of, you know, an hour or something like that, you know, and so it was super useful. So that's how I got introduced to it. But once you open it up and start playing, playing with it, you kind of start to realize the more what you can do with it. There's a lot to it. So because you can also use EXIF data from images to rename files, uh, image files. So say, I mean, most cameras come with the default uh, naming system. And so they output that usually it's the date. And then you know, maybe some sort of prefix and a date. I know in Windows Phone, it's like WP underscore and then you know, the date. So say you want to rename them by some something else in the metadata, you want to throw in the resolution or or the, the date the picture was taken, which <laughs> I don't I've read that off the page here. I don't know why I'd want to do that because it's already in the file name. But say that the location was also stored in the metadata, you can pull that in. So if you had a trip to New York and you want to rename all those files with New York in the title, you can do that. That would be, I mean, you can see how that would be super useful. And then there's a bunch of different numbering that you can do with these with the photos. So you can add a number at the beginning, you can add a number at the end, you can find and replace things in file names. Man, it just goes on and on. And so I found this to be super useful and for so many different things and especially for work when you're dealing with a lot of image files, you know, that you need to kind of organize. And so the numbering, especially on that helps. And then you can also change the file extension on certain things too. So in web design, if say there's, you know, I've got a bunch of HTML files, .html web page files, and I'm trying to make a site that's where I want to utilize PHP. And so I need to change the extension to to .php. I can do that on a, you know, an entire directory of files with HTML files in them, thus enabling those files to be read by the server as PHP instead of HTML and making it, you know, just just like that, just super easy to do stuff like that. So I, <laughs> it, like I said, if when you open it up, there's a lot of fields that you can utilize to rename files. And so it gives you a preview of what the new names will be if you select the files in the viewer and and stuff like that. But I also, you know, I definitely had to go through some tutorials to figure out how to use all of this. So, but there's a lot of useful things in this. And, and I can only imagine the amount of situations or scenarios where this might come in handy for someone. 
another kind of odd situation, I, I guess you would say, is that is say you have a folder or you have a directory of files and in that directory are a bunch of directories of other files, you know, of there's a folder within a folder, within a folder, within a folder. And you've got all these, say, like, we'll just say images hanging out in each of these folders. So they're all separated in the directory. So if you, you, you can use bulk rename utility, and I've actually used it just to do this, it, to open up a directory. Uh, it will list all of the files in the directory. And then you, there's a copy or move to a new location option where if you select all of the files that are in this directory, you can move them all into one place, which is a huge time saver. If you're trying to take a bunch of pictures or something or other files, any files, and instead of having to go into each, you know, click into each directory, however many deep and and pull out, each, you know, extract each picture, you can use bulk rename utility to pull them all out at once and, and put them in one place, which has it's a huge time saver. It's a really great tool. I can't <laughs> stress it enough. It saved me so much time over the years, hours and hours. So and I've only fe- I feel like I've only really hit the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I don't want to put it that way, but I've only, I really haven't gotten my head around everything that this can do. I haven't used every tool in it. But it is a really great thing to have on just something installed on your computer. And, and it also comes with a context menu in Windows, which basically if you're say you've got your Windows Explorer open in a certain folder, if you right click, you know, in a blank air, or if you right click some of the files in that folder, you can open the bulk rename utility in that directory. So it's a nice quick way to pull it up in the, the application and start working on the files where you are. And it's really, it's been really nice to have on hand. I'm really glad I found it. I'm going to, like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can check that out. Like it's completely free. Uh, I've enjoyed it for a long time. It looks like the software company that has been around since 2001. So they have uh, kept up. There's actually been a few updates to it uh, in the past few years. So that's good to see. Okay, so the second application that I want to talk about or second software utility is simply named image resizer for Windows again for Windows and it is completely free as well I see the project is actually on GitHub now so that's good to see Uh, there was a recent update it looks like about 22 days ago that added a lot of new features and I really love image resizer for Windows this essentially Again, if you're in a folder or directory with images that you want to resize or shrink down or or something to that effect, this will let you if you select the images in the folder you're in and literally right click and there is a resize pictures in the context menu and it will open up this. It's a tiny little app, (laughs) a tiny little window will open with some options to resize your pictures and you can, there's some there's standard resizes in there. You can replace the photos or just make a new copy of each. And it's super useful if you're trying to shrink down some a bunch of pictures. It just provides a really quick way for you to to resize and <laughs> resize a bunch of images. And, and there's a few scenarios where I use this quite a bit. And most of them have to do with the web and and the fact that the, the images that it will create for you 
are very web friendly because of the file size that they become. So say you've got, you know, the photos that come off of a your phone or device or or, you know, any digital photography usually are a few megabytes, you know, at, at the very least these days. So if you are wanting to post them online somewhere, but you don't want to and it doesn't really matter the quality, you know, as far as like, it doesn't have to be super high res when I'm not talking about posting to Flickr or anything like that. Of course, you want to upload a, you know, full size original, but in other places, it might be useful to have a very small file size to quickly upload somewhere. And especially if you have a bunch of photos that you want to do this to. So uh, an example, and I, I know I always bring up Swappa, but this is a, the perfect example of where this comes in handy. So if I'm going to sell a device on Swappa, uh, in the listing when you're posting, they have a 5 megabit megabyte limit on photos. And so they don't limit you to a certain amount of photos. They limit you to a certain file size total. So if I had, you know, if I just use the original photos off of my device that I took of whatever I'm selling, then, you know, I probably would be done <laughs> after one or two, you know, two photos, two or three photos, I would be able to upload because they're huge, you know. So what I can what I do then is I take as a bunch of photos of the device, you know, because I'm trying to sell it, I want people to know what they're getting. So and then I'll pull those photos in into a folder somewhere on my Windows uh, laptop and then select all of them and right click and do resize pictures. And then usually I, I set it to the large setting, which puts it at 1920 by 1080. But the biggest thing that it does is it reduces the file size drastically. And so it'll go down to, you know, a few hundred kilobytes an image. So essentially that gives me a bunch of leeway to upload you know, 10, 15 images of the device if I want to, because of the file size limit, it, you know, I, it, it shrunk everything down. So, and in a recent update, this recent update, which I haven't been able to play with yet, but they have more advanced options where you can, you know, crop down images as well to a certain aspect ratio, or, you know, to a certain pixel by pixel height and width, which is to me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to using that because, I mean, up until this point, I was using Photoshop, a Photoshop action, which is basically and their bulk bulk editing utility to edit a bunch of pictures and get them cropped down to the right size and, and, and save the right way and stuff like that. So it's not the most straightforward process. But I see in this newest update, they actually added that functionality, which I know there's going to be a situation, you know, in the not too distant future where I'm going to use that. So again, it's just a really simple tool and, and I'll put a link uh, so you can check that out and it can come in handy a lot, especially for compressing pictures down for, for use, like even for emailing, say you're just trying to send someone uh, a picture via email or a bunch of pictures, you know, even it's really great to have this on hand to shrink it's to reduce those the size of the pictures without really losing much. You know, if you're just sending an email to someone so they can view just to view the pictures on their screen, it's perfect for this uh, to, to kind of make your email more lightweight, especially if you're spending or sending a bunch of photos. So again, that the same scenario on Swappa where they, there's a file size limit and in email, there's a file size limit. Usually, you know, it's gone, it's gone up and up and over, over the years. I think Gmail is 25 megabytes. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like that that's where Gmail sits right now. 
But if you think about that, uh, if you can shrink your photo down <laughs> to 10% of what it was, you know, as far as file size, and if they're just viewing it on the screen, then that's all you need. You can send a ton of photos to someone via email to view. So it's a really, it's been really handy to have this. And I, I use this probably way more than actually the, the bulk rename utility, but uh, it saves a lot of time for certain things because I do a lot of web work and it's a lot of times uh, there's galleries that we'll put on our company website, you know, of company events and they don't need to be, you know, a megabyte a piece. But I also don't want to have to pull them into Photoshop and shrink, you know, save them for web. So this utility makes it super easy to, to do that and saves a lot of time. Again, both of these, the bulk rename and the image resizer, are both simple, uh, pretty straightforward tools. <laughs> I shouldn't say straightforward on bulk name utility, but uh, they're both simple, simple looking tools to get uh, to save time. So uh, check those out in the show notes. I really suggest it if you work on a Windows computer that you maybe just install these because they're not they're very lightweight they don't really get in the way uh like i said both can be accessed from the context menu or the right click menu in the windows explorer so really enjoyed both of those tools but i just that i thought the, that would be a good place to get started because these are huge time savers uh if you're working with a lot of files over time so i've kind of given a couple of scenarios where i've used it for that uh, for my professional work and I can't recommend them highly enough. So, okay. So <laughs> let's wrap things up. I think I've babbled on enough. So just thank you as always for tuning in and any and all feedback you provide is greatly appreciated. I appreciate all the feedback after the last episode. It's really great to read through it all. I love seeing it. I love responding to it. So it really has been uh, nice to see and just to know there's people out there listening and that I'm, you know, I'm not alone in my, my geekiness. So you can visit pixelswim.com for uh, all the show notes and there's uh, a comment section on each episode if you want to leave a comment on a specific episode. And then also on, I'm on Twitter a lot. People seem to be responding on Twitter quite a bit. So that's cool too. And there's I'm also posting on Google Plus, but, you know, not as active. So but I'm going to keep posting there. So feel free if you're a Google Plus person to go head over to Google Plus via the link on my website. So, And also, again, tune in next week. Episode 16 will feature me with a guest again. So the second guest, Ted Salmon, again, like I said at the beginning, will be here. So uh, during the episode here, I've ordered a red carpet on Amazon for Ted. Hopefully it'll be here in time for the episode. Uh, just a little bad joke there. <laughs> anyway, uh, again, I'm looking forward to that. Tune in next week. Make sure you subscribe. If you haven't already, I I suggest subscribing because next week should be a good conversation. So tune in again. And again, just grateful for everybody who's been listening and following along. It's really been a, a humbling experience. <laughs> I didn't think anyone when I started, I didn't think anyone was going to listen. And I was fine with that, you know, so it's been really great to have any sort of audience at all. So have a great night or dusk or or lunch or sunrise or sunset or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed. speed.